Today's Friday, February 3rd, 2023, and on this episode on Muskie's Talk, Alex and I will break down the Bengals' loss in Kansas City in the AFC Championship to the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll dive into Xavier basketball as the Musketeers come off a win on an oppressive one at home on Wednesday night. We'll also set up their upcoming schedule, dive into some news around sports. That's all coming up and plenty more. We'll take a break and get this thing started in a moment. All right, welcome in. Joined by Alex Spearnett. I'm John Baldridge. And hi again, everybody, as we get set for another podcast edition here on Muskie's Talk. Alex, it's been a rough, tough week in Cincinnati sports. I mean, where do you even want to start? Uh, Xavier lost a big one to Creighton. They come back and win on Wednesday, though. And then the Bengals lose to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Do you want to dive into Bengals first? Yeah, you let's, see? Just, let's just get the Bengals out of the way here, John. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you're right there watching this one right here on campus, and they're so close. You thought the whole game, the Bengals are the better team, and it was the O-line was just a big problem. Uh, they, a lot of Chiefs were able to get to Burrow, and they weren't able to get guys open, had two drives in the fourth quarter that could have determined the football game where the Bengals were stopped and had to punt the ball back over to Kansas City, and Mahomes, a late foul by Joseph Asai, puts them in field goal range to win it late, and it just felt like the whole game the Bengals were a better team in that football game. Yeah, and when it came down to it, um, Joe Burrow and that offensive line were not able to make enough plays to win the game. Uh, obviously, there were some remarkable moments, uh, such as that T. Higgins uh, looked like a rendition of Randy Moss catching, I believe that was a 35 or so yard touchdown to tie it up. And then that incredible fourth and sixth conversion Burrow to Chase, and then P. Ryan ended up punching in that one. Um, but I think you really have to look at the missed opportunities early for the Bengals in that game where they settled for three. Uh, I especially look at that drive right before the half where they just ran out of time uh, and they had to settle for those three points by McPherson to cut the deficit going into halftime 2-7. Uh, I think if you get the touchdown there, it's a whole different game. But you obviously, you know, you can't just go back to that. Um, but another topic from this game that I think was more nationally covered um, was the officiating that occurred in this game. It's you, you hate to blame it on the officials, but when there is a situation as bizarre as the one that occurred on Sunday, Sunday night in that fourth quarter where the Bengals had the Chiefs, the third and eight, they get the stop. Chiefs get another chance to mm -hmm. do a clock malfunction. And it was one of the most bizarre things that I've personally witnessed while watching a game. John, I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. It was Ron Tolbert's crew who, you know, in the, in the, in the playoffs, they select the best officials to go referee the games. And Ron Tolbert was the lead official for that game. And he was the same guy that had the Super Bowl for the Bengals last year, his crew in the playoffs. And... It was just the officiating's bad. I mean, that's right. But the Bengals, it comes down to it. As I mentioned just a second ago, you had two drives in the fourth quarter where you had a chance. You had the ball at your own 40-yard line on the first drive, second and three, 
and you throw two deep passes after you get that deep pass to Hurst. You have two passes, one pass to Chase that's about 30 yards downfield, and then another one that's picked off to trying to hit Higgins. And then the next drive on third down, you get sacked. They give the ball back to Kansas City. They score. The officiating was bad. The Chiefs got some lucky breaks. That third down call, as you mentioned, in the third quarter where they got the second chance was, I've never seen a game stopped. I've never seen a game stop for crowd noise like they said it was. And especially when you're the home team and you get the crowd noise stopped when your team is on offense and it's that loud, which makes no sense to me why you would stop the game for the officiating crew. To me, what upsets me the most, though, is we couldn't block. When we had some play calls, which we've been talking about how good Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator, Joe Burrow has been, all season, especially with this last 10-game win streak, and they haven't lost a game in three months. And then to sit there and to have some play calls where you don't, second and three, you don't run the ball, you take two deep shots, and then you get sacked, and then 39 seconds, the same time you gave the ball that ended the season in the Super Bowl last year against the Rams. You punt the ball away with 39 seconds to go. Chiefs go down, of course, score, get the field goal. But it just seemed like clock management wasn't very good by the Bengals in that time by Zach Taylor. And there was just so many things the Bengals looked like the better team, but didn't execute when it mattered. Yeah, I'll actually disagree with you on the play calling there. Um, going on that third and three pass to T. Higgins, the deep ball, it took the best possible outcome from the Chiefs to prevent a touchdown on that play. It was a perfect throw. The guy barely gets his hand up the last second, makes a deflection. And the pick itself, honestly, wasn't that bad because it ended up being in the same distance that a punt would have been. I think they got it around the 13 or 14-yard line. But I did, I really did like that call because if T. Higgins comes down with that, Bengals are potentially up by seven with, I believe, around three minutes left in that game. And with the way the Chiefs were struggling to move that ball down the field, I just don't see a way they would have come back. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes played with that bum ankle, it looked like, for the whole game. He played great, made some incredible throws. But I think the Bengals played well enough to win. And, you know, it, it's just hard to watch as a fan when so much has gone against the Bengals for all these years. And then there's a missed call on a block in the back on a punt that uh, the Bengals made there with about a minute left in the game where Kansas City got a 30-yard return that nearly put them around the 50-yard line. Uh, there was actually two blocking the backs on the play that weren't called. The NFL mm -hmm. has said they were blocking the backs. It's hard to stomach as a fan um, when you know that your team made enough plays to win the game, even though it wasn't their best game they could have played. Um, and then obviously that last second roughing call on Joseph Asai and other two missed holding calls that the NFLs came out and said were, in fact, holding calls that were missed. It's just hard to stomach, um, you know, when things are constantly seemingly going against the Bengals. But at the end of the day, you just have to you know, swallow the loss and uh, hope for good things to come in the draft and build a nice roster for next season. It's just so upsetting. I mean, you're right there again, just like you were last year. As we mentioned many times on this podcast, just a bad team with Joe Burrow comes in his rookie year, gets injured, and they come back in the next two years to go to the Super Bowl. And, yes, Burrow's talked about how the team he has around him will always be a championship contender. But it just feels like the timeline for that is getting smaller and smaller with the big contracts they're going to have to pay to Burrow to Chase. Higgins is also coming up soon. And they got some free agents 
we'll dive on, if not in this show, and the next show's coming. But, I mean, what do you think about the offensive line in that game? You're out, you don't have Jonah Williams. He's not there. You're also out with no Alex Kappa and no Ladale Collins. I mean, you had Carmen Sharping and Adenogy step up, who played well against Buffalo and backup roles. It was a struggle, though, against Chris Jones and that and Frank Clark and that defensive line for Kansas City. Yeah, I thought it was more of an issue very early on in the game. Uh, obviously, they sacked Burrow, I believe, three straight plays maybe or something like that. Um, but after that, I thought the offensive line did a decent enough job to win the game given the circumstances. They are only backups uh, to an already subpar or at least average Bengals offensive line. And they gave Burrow opportunities to make some throws. Um, it was, you know, when it's that cold out there, I believe the feel like temperature during the game was sub five degrees or something. It's hard to run the game, especially the offense, as you want it to. And with a great uh, defensive line that the Chiefs have, which I believe is only second best to the Eagles remaining in the playoffs. You know, it's going to be hard to get your way uh, the way that you did against Buffalo, who certainly does not have the firepower that the Chiefs had. The comments the Bills GM gave after their loss to Cincinnati talking about, or to be that bad really, to get a guy like Jamar Chase, a guy like Joe Burrow, and they just gave a ton of money to Josh Allen, who they really backloaded that contract, which means they gave a lot of money towards the back end of his contract so they could have some winning teams right now. When you look at Joe Burrow's contract coming in the next couple years, has a year left on his rookie deal, um, do you think that gets done first off this offseason? And how will the Bengals be able to, can they be able to, keep guys around with this stellar roster, with those great receivers, a good defense? And maybe who do you think disappears this offseason, Alex? Well, I think you're going to obviously have to say goodbye to Jesse Bates. Uh, there's just no way the Bengals will be able to afford him for the money that he's asking. And I, Honestly, from what I've seen this year, I thought he had a pretty disappointing season. Uh, I don't think he's worth the hype. I think he's one of the more overrated players on the Bengals roster. But then you look at a guy like Jermaine Pratt, and that's a guy who's made plays for you. Obviously, he had that uh, incredible pick at the end of the year, at the end of the game last year against the Raiders in that wild card round. That will go down as one of the greatest plays in Bengals history, and he played great this year. Um, so you're gonna have to make a decision on him, and I, I I think that they'll bring him back if the price is right. I think he's still a good fit for this team. But then I think the biggest thing is not the players that the Bengals could potentially be losing; it's the coaches and. Uh, defensive coordinator Lou yeah, yeah. Rumo uh, and offensive coordinator Brian Callahan had some interviews this week, I believe, with the Cardinals, uh, the Colts, um, and it looks like they did not make the shortlist initially, which is a good thing. But, um, you know, it's obviously good that your coordinators are getting looks for head coaching jobs. It's good for them, good for their career. But, God, you just hope that you can get – I think Lou Anarumo is the most important – the important piece that the Bengals can retain this offseason. The guy's just an absolute defensive mastermind. You go back to the game now, and you talk about the officiating and how it was bad. The Bengals' defense up until that last couple plays kept them in the ball game, and it wasn't much for the offense in that game. I mean, Chase had that great reception. will go down as one of the greatest Bengals plays of all time starting the fourth quarter to get them into – first and goal, and they went down and scored with a P. Ryan touchdown, who's also a free agent you mentioned 
this offseason, tied it up at 20. I thought the Bengals' defense was really good in that ball game. You got some questions you brought back with Pratt. Logan Wilson's a free agent after this season, the season coming up. So I think there's a lot of questions to be answered on that defense, especially in the secondary. Von Bell's also a free agent. Do you think the Bengals can be able to, with if Lou, Amor, Lou Amarimo sticks around, that this defense can stay stellar like it was this year going into the next couple seasons? Yeah, I certainly do. And the Bengals consistently, you know, they've been drafting pretty well on defense. Uh, you look at Cam Taylor Britt this year, and, you know, we're going to see some progression with Dax Hill. He didn't get a ton of snaps this year. It's kind of too early to tell to see how he's going to pan out. Um, but you just look at the guys they've drafted. I mean, Sam Hubbard included, Logan Wilson. Um, I think that the defense is going to be around for a long time. Uh, I do expect the Bengals to draft some defense again early this draft because um, that's kind of been their theme ever since they've you know, gone. Besides Burrow and Chase, they usually go defense within the first couple picks, and that's worked out well for them. And then they've been really good also at signing free agents that are kind of under the radar, uh, even guys like Eli Apple, I mean, he's, you know, he still gets roasted all the time, obviously, for his trash talk and so. And but you look, and he really only got burned a couple times this year. He was a very solid corner for us, uh, did his job for the most part. But we signed him for next to nothing. He was a forgotten piece in the NFL, and you know, he's all of a sudden a decent player. So I definitely trust this defense to rebound and be very good again next year. You think Apple comes back? He's a free agent with Bell and Bates, as you mentioned, also? Personally, I don't think it's necessarily worth the drama, but I'm sure um, knowing the Bengals' kind of loyalty, if the price is right, they're going to try to bring him back because I can't imagine many teams out there really like having a desire for Eli Apple. Mm -hmm. uh, so if the Bengals are willing to give him anything, I'm sure he'll want to come back. I imagine, too, it has to be a lot with Lou Amarimo sticking around, which would help his case a lot for getting back in Cincinnati. Yeah. So one thing I want to get on from this game, and we'll stick with it for a couple of minutes before we get over to Xavier basketball, um, was Tyler Boyd getting injured. Tyler Boyd got injured in the first quarter, which really reason why they were double teaming Chase and Higgins on the corners, which really left Hurst as, you know, the only guy they could throw it to. They had also Trenton Irwin out there, but you're gonna leave Trenton Irwin open all the time if you have to if you can double team Higgins and Chase. But with Boyd getting injured, that really hurt the Bengals, I felt, for the offensive side of the ball during that game against Kansas City on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. I mean Boyd is always the guy that's seemingly there when you need him to make that big catch on third down. When your back's against the wall, he's always there. And that was honestly a forgotten piece of this game, I think, just with all the drama surrounding it. Um, I honestly mm -hmm. forgot that he was even uh, sidelined. Um, you know, he made a tremendous play on the – I believe he got tackled by the hip on the play. He was injured and rolled up on his leg. But uh, Boyd's been that guy for us and, you know – Obviously, it definitely hurt the Bengals not to have him out there, and I think that's why the defense or the offense kind of stalled there on a few drives for sure. So as we wrap up this season, Alex, you don't lose a game for three months. You win ten straight. You sit at four and four at one time. You have a great, you know, you get some, you get some lucky breaks. You gotta call it with the Sam Hubbard touchdown against Baltimore. But then you have great wins against Buffalo. Yeah, you have to beat Baltimore two times in a row to get into the, you know, to get past them, beat them in the playoffs too, and then you lose on Sunday. I mean, what is what are your takeaways from the twenty twenty two Bengals twenty twenty three season? 
Well, it was obviously a good season. Uh, I believe this was the most talented team in franchise history, even more talented than last year's roster. Um, so obviously it was disappointing that you didn't get to the Super Bowl. This is probably the easy, or not the easiest, but the best chance that they've had to win it uh, out of any year. Um, but next year, you retain most of the same roster. Burrow's just going to continue to develop uh, alongside great core receivers, great coaching staff. You know, Super Bowl is always going to be the goal for this team now. Alex, we'll get over to Xavier basketball. Um, that week for them this past week has just been as tough as the Bengals. They lose Zach Fremantle injury on Tuesday. Out a month, the same foot he injured, that right foot, um, when he started the season back last year in 2021. And then you lose to Creighton on Saturday. For you, how do you assess how the team's playing right now? I think they're playing some great ball right now. Obviously, I was worried about how the absence of Zach Fremantle, uh, what impact that would have on this team. But uh, most of my doubts were pretty much uh, eliminated after that performance versus Providence. Uh, the only thing that does kind of concern me is we pretty much ran six deep um, that game mm -hmm. with you know, Desmond Claude coming off the bench and, you know, a few guys filling in here or there. I expected to see a lot more out of Cesar Edwards, um, but he was only in for the a few minutes there in the first half. So we're going to have to see if that bench can continue to develop. Yeah, and for this team, as we talked about the games last week, talking about Creighton and also against their game against Providence on Wednesday, which they won in overtime, took 45 minutes to beat them, win by two. Um, Xavier's tied atop with Marquette right now for the number one spot in the Big East Conference with a record of 10-2 and two in conference and 18-5 and five overall. The Musketeers, though, to me, as you mentioned, a small bench. This team has some questions to be answered for the, for the stretch coming up without Fremantle. How can they be able to, if they get into foul trouble, be able to play with teams with a very small bench? You have Hunter. You have Nunji, and Edwards will see the floor some. But after that, they don't go very deep inside on that Xavier roster. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, I do think that playing with a small with a small bench is a bit of an overblown stat. You look at some of the teams that have made the Final Four the last couple of years. You look at Villanova even in their successful runs. They only went about six deep. Uh, and it's just a matter of keeping those players in condition, making sure that Players are smart out there when they have two fouls. They have three fouls. To play smart, use their, you know, brains out there. You don't want to be out there hacking like Jerome Hunter, you know, sometimes gets accustomed to doing. They're just going to have to play a brand of basketball that is clean. Um, you know, you have to keep the offense moving fast, but when you don't have as many players, uh, not as many bodies to come off the bench, maybe slow it down sometimes, get more of an offensive set. Um, but I, I do like where this team's going, and I think that they'll only continue to grow as we reach March. Alex, we dive into that Providence game now. Able to get the win on Wednesday, as we mentioned, 85-83 in overtime. Took 45 minutes. Xavier didn't shoot the ball that great. Sole Boom only one for nine for three. He was seven for 19 from the field, but had 20 points. A guy you were questioning how many points he would bring in as a grad student that played at UTEP last year. He's been able to score with ease, even in games he hasn't shot the ball very well. Colby Jones with 20. Jack Nungy led the team with 23. This Providence team, Alex, has only lost two times this year when they've been out-rebound. Um, they 
looked like a team that were fighting to get back into it, and Xavier almost gave it away, gave it away to them. But I thought to myself out there from just seeing the game in person that Xavier was the better basketball team, but that Xavier's got to find a way to close. Yeah, for sure. Um, it seemed like early on in the game the defense was doing a really good job, but then we allowed Providence to kind of get in a bit of a rhythm uh, that we couldn't match. We kind of had a scoring drought there for a little bit to open the second half um, where Providence was just getting whatever they wanted, uh, made a lot of threes. And we really struggled from the free throw line, which I think helped narrow the gap for Providence to uh, to bridge there. But we do have to finish games a lot stronger. We haven't had that game where we've won by 20 points in a while. Um, and I've cer- I'd certainly like uh, Xavier to go in Saturday night and take care of business against St. John's. Let's get that 20-point win and learn how to close out a ball game, not make it as close as this week where Providence was about an inch away from making a buzzer beater three. St. John's is only 1-5 in, in the conference. They've lost 8 out of their last 11, 3 out of their last 4. Xavier at 18-5, and five. they got to find a way, as you mentioned, to get a big win here, get some confidence into this team. A, a small bench, as we've talked about, they aren't going deep with some of the freshmen, some of the sophomores like Deontay Miles, but they are using this small bench, and it's working with Sean Miller. They got to find a way, though, to play a complete ball game. They blew out. I felt like they really had a commanding lead against Providence in the first half, and they let Providence trickle, trickle, trickle back into that ball game. We're able to win it, but I feel like, as we just talked about, they got to find a way to really separate themselves from the rest of the pack in the Big East and see the contenders from the pretenders. Yeah, for sure, and you're going to have to beat the teams that you're supposed to beat. I'm fine with these wins against teams like Providence and UConn where you're only winning by a few points because that's realistically the margin it should be. But, you know, you'd just like to see them uh, win by a more comfortable margin against the teams they should be beating, considering that Xavier is nearly a top-ten team in the country. The Musketeers only with two more games against top-25 teams this year. Actually, make that three more games. They play Providence two times, and they'll play Marquette. You get Butler twice, you get Seton Hall again, you get Villanova and DePaul again. As you finish up this season, as I just talked about the Bengals, your takeaways from their season, what would you like to see from Xavier the rest of their season as they lead into the Big East tournament? Well, I think the goal right now for the team, I would assume that in that locker room, they only want to set one goal at a time. And I think that goal right now is winning not only the next game, but the rest of the Big East, I think the Big East regular season has been something that Xavier has had circled uh, in that locker room since the beginning of the year, where they were preseason, uh, projected to finish second in the Big East, only behind Creighton, uh, who Creighton, by the way, is making a bit of a push up there towards the front uh, out of nowhere. But Xavier, I think that they do have a chance to win that Big East regular season title if they're able to, you know, Marquette, I think, is their biggest foe when it comes to this. Uh, I think winning that game at Marquette could be the deciding factor. That will be on February 15th, so 12 days from now up there in Milwaukee. Um, We picked the games last week. You had Creighton in a loss there. I had us beating Creighton. That did not turn out well for Xavier. A big loss, 84-67. Could never get the offense really going. Of course, we just talked about Providence. I had them 
losing to Providence, which they almost did, found a way to win in overtime by two. You had them winning, so you're both correct. Two out of two out of two. I was zero for two. But um, <laughs> what is your prediction for the game on Saturday in the Centaurs, Alex? Well, it's going to be a ruckus crowd, standing room only, 5 p.m. tip. Always a great time in Cintas when you get a Saturday late night game. I expect Xavier to come ready to play in this one. St. John's, you know, even though even though their last uh, eight ten games haven't gone the way they have won it, they are always going to give you their best game. They got some athletes up there uh, in New York, and they will come and ready to play if you are not ready. But I'm going to take Xavier by eight. Did you see how much tickets are going for that game? They're it is pretty expensive. Pretty expensive. Uh, pretty surprising for a St. John's game, but I guess the way the team's playing, we're getting towards the end. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the game against Providence was about 15 bucks to get in on Wednesday night, and now you're looking at somewhere in the $50 range to get in the door. So if you're coming on down, if you don't have tickets, you're going to spend a little hefty dollar on that one. Yeah, and that's just how we want it. Uh, you know, you want those sellout crowds as you get towards the end of the year. Talking about that, Alex, we will be back on with you guys next Wednesday. Are we going to Butler on next Friday, Alex? Have we made any decision on that yet? We have not, but, you know, as, tic- as I'm looking at ticket prices right now, it's around $35. So maybe we'll make that trip over uh, to Indy. Uh, that would be a cool one. I've never been to Hinkle. Uh, obviously one of the cathedrals of college basketball. I've I've always wanted to go. You know what? Why not? You know, I was able to tour it back around 2016-2017. We were in Indianapolis to see a Pacers game that night. And and it's really a cool stand. You know, you just walked in the door. There's nobody stopping you from on the campus there. And walked in, took a tour around. Some of the players are out there shooting some three-pointers after practice. And it really is a cool arena. Very... Very kind of claustrophobic, but very very tight in there, but a very nice arena they got in Indianapolis. I got Xavier, though, against St. John's. I got Xavier getting the win, but maybe you don't want my prediction because it seems like I'm incorrect most of the time. But the Musketeers, uh, I got them winning by about six in that ball game, so not as much as you said. I would like to see them, as we mentioned, win by about 20. I mean, I think, though, one guy – that is that leads this team is Colby Jones. Everybody talks about Colby, how he's the leader on this ball club, the junior who had a very good sophomore season last year. And from what I've seen the last couple of games, from personal opinion, he hasn't played up to what he could be this year. Yeah, you know, obviously you look at a performance like he had on Wednesday night, uh, what was it, 21 points or so. He seemed like he could have scored a lot more than that you know had a few turnovers there his defense hasn't been uh, what I've necessarily wanted it to be he is that guy who can get a stop for you but I think just overall he has been a little slower this year Um, it seems like maybe he's got some cement weights on his feet at times on fast breaks it seems like he's not able to necessarily finish the way that you know, it would seem easy for a guy who's looking to go to the NBA next year. But I think the biggest thing is make those darn free throws, Colby. It's been such a struggle this year to watch. Uh, he's been a great, much improved shooter from the three-point line. But, you know, it's kind of odd how that's translated to a worse, way worse performance, I think, at the free throw line. But, you know, he's been a great player, and he's been leading this team well, uh, played through some injuries at the beginning of the year, and we're grateful to have him. 
He was 41 minutes, had 20 points in the last game against Providence. But you mentioned 1 of 4 from the free throw line, 9 of 16 from the floor, 1 of 3 from 3. So hopefully we can get the best out of Colby Jones on Saturday night. It's going to be exciting down there. It's going to be, as you mentioned, an electric environment, standing room only, Centos Center, 3800 Victory Parkway. And uh, Alex, you going to be in attendance on Saturday? Of course. Well, I'll be there too. I got to do a high school game on a Saturday morning, but I'll be over there after that. So, Alex, any final comments from the Bengals season, from uh, Xavier as they get set for their game on Saturday? We'll get into Reds, of course, coming up later this spring. But uh, right now, they got all Xavier to look forward to towards March Madness. Final comments from you this afternoon, Alex. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, having some – uh, bedside thoughts, uh, you know, obviously it's been taking a while to get over this Bengals loss. I've been thinking to myself, the only way that's mm-hmm. going to make this Bengals loss hurt a lot less is if Xavier can make a heck of a run this year. Let's get to that first Final Four for crying out loud. Uh, ease my pain a little bit before I have to watch the atrocity that is the Cincinnati Reds all summer long. Let's just get to that Final Four this year. It's unfortunate, Alex. The Reds sometimes are even playing ball games. But here we are tonight on this Friday. Get set for tomorrow's big game in March Madness for Xavier. And hopefully we can go pretty far in March. Got to win six games to get to the, fi- to get to the final. And uh, I think they have a shot. So we'll see that come on. And we'll join you all back here next week in the studio as we'll talk some more Xavier and some more Cincinnati sports. For Alex Spearnett and our whole cast of crew, I'm John Baldridge saying so long from now. We'll see you and we'll hear from you next week.